Hey there crew, it is Charnel, and yes, yes, I'm aware that it's odd that you're hearing from me on a Wednesday, but it's not just any Wednesday, it is All Hallows Eve, that is Halloween, and Dee and I decided that it was a good time to drop a little sweet treat nugget in your timelines and your favorite podcast apps, because we realize it is a special day, and no, Dee is not here with me, but she does send her love, she's here in spirit, and has given this little case her stamp of approval, so with all that stuff being said it's time for a little trick or treat excited to be here with you now maybe you're already home feet kicked up nice and warm after a few hours of trick-or-treating with your rugrats or maybe you're like me and you're in your car right now on your way to work dressed as oogie boogie from nightmare before christmas either way i love you and i'm glad you're here rocking with me now speaking of how halloween goes this is also one of the only nights of the year that you hear someone tell you to always check your candy before you eat it check your children's candy because someone could poison it or put a razor blade in it and now that's funny because there's only been one actual reported case of halloween candy poisoning and it wasn't from who you think it was and that's what we're covering today we're going to cover uh the terrible parenting i should say and the struggles in acts of ronald o'brien here now it was october 31st 1974 and of course of course we're back in texas because where else would we be (laughs) what did you do it only makes sense if we're in texas and ronald o'brien had just finished having dinner with his friends uh some family friends and they decided that they were going to go out now and take their little ones trick-or-treating um with with him were a couple of his friends kids and his own two kids uh, Timothy and his five-year-old daughter Elizabeth. Now they stopped at a few homes, and you know no one kind of answered the door, and that's quite all right. And you know they got their candy, but then they came upon another house with the lights off, and no one answered. So the kids went ahead with his friends, and Ronald ended up staying behind. Odd, right? When he caught up to the group, though. He was holding some giant pixie sticks. Now, if you don't know what pixie sticks is, pixie sticks are those huge colored straws full of delicious, but also probably disgusting sugar for candy. And so he had exclaimed to his friends that, wow, your neighbors have to be rich to be giving out such big pixie sticks and such expensive candy. Now, that being said, they went about their business trick-or-treating and they decided to call it a night. And now that they're back home, and everyone's bathed and everyone's in bed. Timothy, being the young boy that he is, and I was probably much like Timothy as well, you know, he decided that he wanted to have some of his candy. And, you know, Ronald agreed. He said, sure, let's have some candy. And Timothy decided to pick the that huge pixie stick. Yes, the pixie stick. But this is odd because Timothy seemed to have some trouble loosening up the candy to come out of the straw so ronald helped him he rolled it between his hands to loosen up the sugar and then when timothy tasted it he said wow dad this uh this is kind of bitter ronald offered him some kool-aid to help wash it down and almost immediately timothy started vomiting and within a few minutes several minutes he was convulsing on the floor 
And of course, with these terrifying and extreme symptoms, they would seek to get their child some help. But unfortunately, Timothy O'Brien would die en route to the hospital. But at the hospital, that's where they met Detective Bill Lanier, who began, obviously, interviewing members of the O'Brien family, asking what could have happened, what did happen, what do they remember, who do you think is responsible for this? And that's when they started searching homes. Now, you may remember that there were five other pixie sticks out and about, so the detectives quickly spread out to try to find the other kids to locate them because there's potentially more fatalities. And they discovered the other four, but they could not find one. And the parents of the fifth child were kind of up in arms because they could not locate the poisonous pixie stick. And when they finally did, it was in the hands of their young child who had fallen asleep with the pixie stick because it seemed he could not open it for himself because of how it was stapled shut. Now, you may be asking yourself, what was it? that had forced young Timothy to meet his end. Now, it turns out it wasn't until his autopsy was done when they found out that the pixie stick that he had consumed was laced with a fatal dose of potassium cyanide and that the other pixie sticks were topped with two inches of cyanide as well. Now, at first, the police didn't really suspect Ronald O'Brien for anything, but it wasn't until they asked him to show them where they had gotten the pixie sticks that they became slightly suspicious because they had only gone trick-or-treating on two streets, around two blocks, but suddenly Ronald couldn't remember the street that they were on when they found the pixie sticks. He couldn't remember the name of the street. He couldn't remember the color of the house. And then as they kept pressing and pressing, he says, okay, now I remember it was this house. I remember I, I didn't, the lights wasn't on, but I do remember the guy opening the door and sticking his arm out of the door with five pixie sticks. He remembers the arm being hairy. Now, he made a mistake here because the man whose house he went to was not home at all. The house he had led police to belonged to Hobby Airport Supervisor Courtney Melvin, who did not get home that night until nearly 11 p.m. and had several uh, subordinates who could vouch for his whereabouts. So now the heat was turning up on O'Brien. And so the detectives started uncovering a little bit more information about Ronald O'Brien. It turns out that he was in deep, deep financial debt and that the house that the family was living in was in foreclosure and that he owed so much money to different credit cards and creditors and that he was basically drowning um, in his own debt and he was floundering. And then it was revealed that he had purchased $20,000 life insurance policies on his children, not just a month earlier. In addition to that, he also acquired another uh, life insurance policy for another $20,000 for all of his children. And to make matters look even worse for Ronald, the next morning around 9 a.m., he had actually called inquiring with his insurance company how he could cash out on his now recently deceased child's life insurance policy. Now, this is also something paired with the fact that people had come forward saying that he had been interested in cyanide and how much it would take to kill a person and how much it would cost. And he had recently visited a chemical store and chemical outlet, and he had left because he realized he had to purchase at least five pounds to get his hands on any. So now we have 
a very guilty looking Ronald O'Brien with no alibi other than a mystery man with a hairy arm handing him pixie sticks. Now, this is also terrifying because not only was he willing to kill his own children for financial gain, but he was also willing to kill other children to cover up his crimes. Now, even though Ronald O'Brien would go on and maintain his innocence and they had no real evidence of where he had acquired the cyanide, on November 5th, 1974, he was arrested and then subsequently indicted on one count of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. He pled not guilty to all five counts and his trial began. And during his trial, a chemical salesman would speak out and say, indeed, Ronald did reach out to me and inquire about how to obtain some cyanide. And not only that, his brother-in-law testified that he had talked about what he would do with the insurance money once he had gotten it, talking about taking vacations and buying a new car because his had recently been repossessed uh, by the bank because he had been months behind on his payments, again, drowning in debt. And his defense tried to maintain his innocence calling on that old trope of some crazed person poisoning children on Halloween night. But remember, up until this that past Halloween night, there had been no such cases of child poisonings because of Halloween candy. And he actually got the nickname The Candy Man, which you guys, if you guys have been with us for a while, know that Dean Coral was actually named too. Everything comes full circle, right? But on June 3rd, 1975, Ronald O'Brien was found guilty of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder and was sentenced to death. And so after that, Ronald O'Brien was moved to the Texas State Penitentiary at Huntsville, or known as the Huntsville Unit, where Death Row is located. And following a divorce from his wife and several failed appeals, on March 31st, 1984, Ronald O'Brien was executed by lethal injection and declared dead at 1248 A.M. And it was said that after Ronald O'Brien was declared officially dead and news got to the outside of the prison that all the demonstrators outside were cheering and shouting, trick or treat. And that is our treat to all of you on this very special Halloween night, day, morning, afternoon, wherever you guys are listening to us today. But I want you guys to go out and try to enjoy yourselves after hearing this. Enjoy your loved ones. Enjoy your little ones. Enjoy yourselves. I don't know if you guys are grown and going to parties or having contests, uh, costume contests at work or at school, but go enjoy yourself. Go live. Go love life. Go live life. And we will see you guys on Monday with a new episode. And believe me, It is a doozy. (laughs) Take care of yourselves. Keep your hands clean.